So we continue today with our discussion on Frankenstein. And today what I'd like to talk about is the genre of horror and sci-fi. Who here has seen a horror movie? The Lucas? What was it? Do you remember the title? Huh? The movie It. It. Wow. Demon Clown. Yikes. I did not want to see that one. Um, Stranger Things. Yeah, that's horror. And a a little sci-fi, too. It's very, very Frankenstein-esque. Can anyone explain the connections between Frankenstein and Stranger Things? Benjamin? um, There are monsters that um, they have created... That they've taken out of nature and put into um, yeah. civilization. So they, they create monsters and or discover monsters in other realms through their scientific experiments the and their uh, yeah, and their technological advances. And of course they are not concerned about the consequences on their neighbors, on their fellow men. So very much like Frankenstein. It is Similar to horror, and, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, explain to this, this to you clearly in a little bit, but just think about it. It's a, he's a demon clown, and he comes to haunt and to murder little children, mostly. But what is the reason? I didn't see it, and I've never read it. It's a novel by Stephen King, but can you remember from watching the movie, this is just a guest on my part, why he would kill the people? What motivations did he have? Yes, Lucas? Yeah, I imagine the murdering of the children fed him as a monster. But did he ever, like, make them feel guilty for naughty things they had done? Uh Uh-huh. You see, uh, now now we're getting to what the heart of a horror movie or a horror book is really about. Horror has a lot to do with the sins, the deep, dark, secret sins. Very often the, the perverted and sexual sins of people. And it explores that sort of uh, that judgment or justice theme. The demon clown is a, a, a specter, a monster of justice and judgment. And so there's execution and there's blood and there's torment and there's hell on earth for the sins that the person deals with. Um, you have some other examples to discuss, Addie? Vecna would make the... Oh, Lord Vecna in Stranger Things. Yeah. He would make them feel guilty for the yeah, things they had done. He reminded a kid that he caused a car accident. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a child who got in a car wreck, and uh, just to be clear, Adeline, um, he left the left the kid um, instead of uh, helping him. He saved himself, and Lord Vecna plays on that guilt and shame, um, and he judges them for it. Isn't that interesting? You see, these authors of these modern-day horror movies, they understand the genre of horror because they are professional writers. Uh, If you're a professional writer, of course, you're going to read all the horror books that have been written since they began writing them, ever since Beowulf and Hansel and Gretel, right? You're going to be in The Big Bad Wolf. You're going to be reading all of these horror movies and horror books, I should say, because you're getting in the, the mindset of the genre. Y'all have some more examples? I know y'all like talking about this. Lucas? Uh, the clown uh, made Billy, the main character, feel very guilty. This is just one example. He made him feel guilty about not walking his brother. 
like outside in the rain, and that's when like, <coughs> oh. got pulled into the sewer. Yeah, so he plays off the guilt for mistreating his brother, and he pulls him into the gutter. Benjamin? They had a, um, I was in Florida, and they had a Stephen King book. I don't know what it was. It was like a um, book about like a guy who like had a terrible family life because like he, he would like abuse his wife, and his kids were like, mm-hmm. he, he abused his kids, and like he moved away, I think, and like he went to work on a construction site, and he got like, Almost yeah. Died. So same kind of same kind of theme there. Of course, Stephen King also writes a little sci-fi as well, and sci-fi is a, a little bit different than horror. But just to summarize, and you might want to write this down in your notes, horror, ever since it's been a part of our culture from Beowulf, and if you've read Beowulf, all of you've read Beowulf, you can remember the the creature. Um, the name slips my mind. Right? Grindel, Grindel, and the mother of Grindel, and there's another beast of some sort. Um, what's it called? It's a dragon. A dragon. They, um, commentators point out that they can represent certain sins. And it's like these sins are deadly sins and they're coming to destroy the people. So it's almost a personification of the deadly sins. Really, um, the dwarfs with Snow White, the dwarfs, many people say, are representations of the deadly sins. Remember what their names are? Like they're sleepy. Like sleepy and... and, and uh-huh, grumpy, they have all the names of the deadly sins. And that, of course, goes back to this horror genre that's in Western culture, that your own sins are the things that come back to destroy you. Stranger Things is just the, one of the most recent um, issues with this. Now, why, though, would, and because we've been talking about the French Revolution, the dawning of secularism, the Enlightenment, the rejection of the pilgrim Puritan worldview and Christianity, why would the horror genre pick up so much steam right around the time of Mary Shelley in the late 18th century? Adeline. Well, the revolution is sweeping the world, and it's a revolution against God. Man is going to take might and power and science and technology in his own hands, and he's going to build a heaven on earth. But of course, as he dismisses the law of God to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he begins, because man is deeply sinful, to turn on his neighbors and to create you know, Frankensteins. And his sin and his rebellion comes back to haunt him, so to speak. He will be forever tortured by a raven picking at his liver. It's the old Prometheus tale that when you rebel against God, your sins will find you out. And in the genre of horror, they find you out in the name of Pennywise, right? The It Clown, or the Big Bad Wolf, or Freddy Krueger, or Jason. Of course, you've, none of you have ever watched a Jason movie, but he murders a lot of people while they're in the midst of fornicating. He's murdering them for their sexual sins. They cheat on their wife or they're fornicating and getting drunk at a party and he's out the window with a ski mask ready to massacre them. Or Freddy Krueger, he haunts you in his dreams and he plays off your guilt. This is all modern ideas of that, that old horror theme. And of course, you know how this applies to, to Frankenstein as well. So as our culture has become more sinful and and has lost the potential for atonement in the gospel, the horror genre continues to increase. 
if you watch the uh, the latest rendition of Ebenezer Scrooge, the Christmas Carol, with Will Ferrell, and um, uh, I can't remember Marky Mark. I don't know his real name. Um, Mark Wahlberg. You can see that one of the big questions is for Ebenezer Scrooge, who's sinful and he's a miser and a greedy uh, piece of dirt. Can he be redeemable? And they sing a whole uh, theatrical song, Am I Unredeemable? And so to answer that question, they give him a chance to go back to earth to have a second try so that he can do it right this time and redeem himself. You see, man is dealing with how do we deal with guilt? How do we deal with guilt? How do we avoid getting sucked into the gutter by Pennywise? How do we avoid having Jason tapping on our window? And of course, we as Christians know the answer to that. Only by the execution of Jesus on the cross of Calvary can our sins be atoned for, and we no longer have to live in terror of a demon coming and sucking us into hell. But imagine if you don't know the atonement, you don't know the gospel, you go to bed every night with these fears. People who aren't Christians really do. They suppress these fears, but they really do wrestle with, what about my deep, dark sins? And even Christians, as you get older in life and you've committed quite a few heinous sins and you come to realize how sinful you are and how much you need Christ, there will still be moments in your life where you think, oh no, I'm going to be tormented for eternity for those sins in my past. And that can be a, that can be a tool that Satan uses to accuse you and slander you. So the horror genre really is coming out of a mind and a culture that doesn't know how to deal with its sins. You see what I'm saying? Do you understand it? <coughs> um, <clears throat> even Batman has a little bit of the horror genre in it because what does he do? He shows up at night and he catches you in the act and he beats the living crap out of you. Right? <laughs> it's, of course, it's a, it's a little more like family-friendly version of Pennywise and the It Clown. It's starting to be with the bad guys that's right. Well, and, and the bad guys of Batman, in, in many ways, represent some of the, the greatest sins of mankind. What does the Joker constantly do? He's showing, he's trying to demonstrate that Gotham is truly evil. And he's trying to set up scenarios so they can show the world and themselves that they are just like him. The Riddler is with uh, Revolution. Yeah. yeah. Remember the scene in, um, in one of the recent Batmans where he has two people on riverboats and they both have detonators. And if they don't kill the other riverboat, they're going to be killed themselves. It's all about the depravity of man. The Joker has come as, as justice and uh, evil people. But then Batman, of course, who is a man, saves the day. You can see the problem there. And this is why I didn't, I didn't really like Batman, the, the most recent one, because Batman used to be a symbol of justice against unrepentant evildoers. Now he's a symbol of vengeance. And so the difference between justice and vengeance is atonement. With vengeance, there's no atonement. There's no forgiveness. There's no hope for a second chance. And so because the world has lost atonement, Batman goes from justice, like a sheriff, a righteous sheriff, to vengeance, which can go on anyone. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see? That's why. And, and it's because the latest rendition of Batman, they have swallowed the lie that all men are equal, I mean evil, and there is no atonement. Therefore, Batman is evil too, and he can kill any one of us at any minute. 
Right? If you'll notice at the end of the last Batman, there's a flood that sweeps over the city to, as a new birth, so to speak, and Batman comes up out of the flood, baptized, a new man, and then he is no longer an arbiter of justice. He's a social worker. <laughs> he's like a fireman. And through social work and through, through human um, uh, goodness and coming together, we can build a new world. So Batman is like basically Obama now. Um, <laughs> So lame. Like he, he, the theme of the latest Batman is the same theme as the latest Ebenezer Scrooge. That if man just has love in his heart for each other, just love and peace, man. Abstract ideals, the same ones they chanted as they chopped people's heads off in the French Revolution. That can save us. Brotherhood, fraternity, equality. Ah, oh, Batman. So all of this stuff is related to the horror genre. Um, <clears throat> Uh, what about Jurassic Park, though? I feel like this is a good transition. I never liked that. You never liked it? It's well, have you read the book, though? You see, the book and the movie are, are different. And did, have you seen the original Jurassic Park? The latest ones, in my opinion, are, are dull. Uh, but the original Jurassic Park took the world by storm. Okay, very good. And the book is, uh, is really good. But think about it. Is that horror or is that sci-fi? It's a little bit interesting. There's quite a bit of horror in it, right? Um, it's terrifying, right? You've read the book recently, Jude. It's, it's horrific, though, right? It's scary. Are there bad guys who are getting eaten by dinosaurs because of their sins? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, that, exactly. But, but here's, where, this, here's where the horror genre and the sci-fi genre oftentimes come into combination because... The horror and the sins in sci-fi are very often the sins of violating the laws of nature, playing around with nature and using technology and genetic modification to build a glorious world. And then what happens? It kills them. It kills you. So Jurassic Park is literally, it's Frankenstein's monster. You see what I mean? You know the story of it. On a much bigger scale. scale. So instead of it being a monster, it's a park filled with monsters. We, so we have these same, and I promise you, Michael Crichton, he, he knew this. He, he, he knows these themes, and this is how he writes There's books. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, that, yeah, well, that's cool. <coughs> so let's not get off too far here. Um, this is the specific definition of sci-fi, if you want to write this down. It's where you take people and you put them in a different world. And then you explore the, that different context to, to discuss man's depravity again, right? <laughs> so you might put them in a world in the future. You might put them in a dinosaur park. You might put them in the Matrix. You might put them in the upside-down world right, of Stranger Things. You might put them on Mars. Um, the most uh, recent movie that came out um, set on Mars was called The um, the Prospector, I think. Well, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, yeah, of course, there's the one with, uh, with Matthew Damon uh, called The Martian. So this is sci-fi. Sci-fi takes you and puts you in another world. And then the sins and the guilt and the pride... And the hubris of man with his technology trying to conquer nature and build heaven on earth goes sideways 
right? And you discover, you know, certain things about yourself. And that, and that, of course, then bleeds into the genre of fantasy. Because fantasy, you're putting them in a made-up world, like Middle Earth, right? Um, or whatever the world the Wheel of Time is in. And, of course, fantasy often uses, instead of humans, it uses what? Elves and ogres and Shrek, right? Um, whatever he is. And, uh, you know, orcs. But they are representing humans. They're representing different types of humans, aren't they? Even, even Animal Farm is a bit of a, is a sci-fi. It takes humans and puts them on a farm and gives them animal um, attributes. Even the seven dwarfs. Right, even the seven dwarfs. So, um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. What about um, Terminator? <coughs> Horror or sci-fi? sci-fi? It's a little bit of both. He is um, a product of man's... Oh, here's the theme of Terminator. Man is getting proud and he is trying to build a heaven on earth. Yeah, let's have less questions so I can get through this. He's being proud and he is trying to build heaven on earth. And he uses technology to finally create artificial intelligence. He builds robots. Well, eventually the robots... Um, get smart enough and decide that they're going to revolt against their creator and take over the world. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. It's Frankenstein, okay? Mm-hmm. Only it's a, a robotic Frankenstein. So the humans trying to save themselves um, develop a, a robot to go back in time and kill the man who created the technology. So they send this Terminator back into time to kill the boy who would eventually create the technology that destroys the world. It's kind of an interesting thing. So it's a little bit of uh, horror because this little boy is being hunted for his sins, which that he hadn't yet committed, right? And, uh, and mankind is being hunted, so to speak, for their sins in the past to avoid them uh, being eradicated in the future by scientific technologies. So it's sort of a horror and a sci-fi mixed in uh, together. Matrix is the same thing. Uh, man's attempt at creating heaven on earth, they, it becomes hell on earth as humans are born in little, in little bubbles and, and VR, they just live in VR their whole lives. And honestly, the creation of VR and, and the lizard man's creation of meta, these are all attempts at creating heaven on earth. You could even sit there in, in Minecraft and create your own little heaven on earth. And they made Minecraft. And the they might Minecraft. <laughs> so, um, let's think. Another, another thing to think about um, sci fi genre, sci fi literature that you're going to be reading um, in, your, in your school journeys. Uh, this year, you're going to be reading 1984. Now, here, here's the thing about sci fi I want you to understand a little bit more. Not only does it put people in a different world, when it puts people in a different world, it shows you aspects of man's nature. But it can also show you aspects of certain political ideas. So imagine I know a lot about communism. And I create an imaginary world. And I put humans in this imaginary world that's communist. Then I could write a story that in a sen- essentially is going to predict what happens to any nation that embraces communism. You see what I'm saying? You, you'd have to be incredibly smart. and You'd have to really know all your philosophies. And you'd have to know world history. But that's what 1984 is. He creates a communist world in the future, and he puts humans in it. Okay, 
And so that's why it's sci-fi. But so sci-fi explores the difficulties of mankind. So, uh, so for one example, in this new world, people are assigned their spouse and they get to mate like one time and have a, and have a child. Well, he explores that all, how all that terrorizes people, basically, and how this man, he loves a woman, but he has to secretly love her because he'll be executed for violating the, the one-child policies and things like that. Um, so he's exploring human uh, aspects of humanity, but he's also predicting things that would happen in the future as societies embrace communism. And what's crazy is um, he, he placed this future world in the year 1984. Isn't it interesting? Um, now, and, and he was right in many ways. It's a crazy how smart and how right he was. And some of the phrases that he had are, were like the memory hole. What they would do, the propaganda or the news media, when there was any story that didn't work with the, the narrative, they would memory hole it. Like, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to think about it. And uh, so they might create some medicine that was supposed to save the planet, and then it actually killed a bunch of people. They will then, in the next news cycle, memory hold that. So you forget all about it, and you're not allowed to talk about it. And they, of course, would burn books and censor any uh, misinformation. Um, they had a ministry of truth, which was basically a ministry of propaganda and lies. And if you spoke the truth, they called that misinformation, or they called that falsehood. And there was all these phrases like groupthink, and um, what, what was the phrase whenever someone disappeared? When someone disappeared, I can't remember that. But basically, up was down and, and down was up, and truth was lies, and freedom was slavery. Everything is opposite. And when y'all read that book later this year, you're going to be blown away at how good his predictions were. It's like, today. It's like, like, like what? Like today. Well, that's very much. Another book you're going to read later in, like, I think in 11th grade is Brave New World, which is another sci-fi prediction book where they, the, everyone on the planet is on uh, meds so that they are more pliable from the uh, elite central planning government. Sound familiar? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> <clears throat> of course, there's Time Machine, uh, which is a little bit older-fashioned sci-fi where a man goes forward into the future, discover the future of the planet and what man's done to it. And it's like man is eradicated and, and the crab-like creatures you know, are running the earth. So that's uh, the time machine. And Lord of the Rings, too, though. Of course, it's not humans in a different world. It's elves and stuff. And, and, um, and, uh, and then there's the space trilogy. You're going to read that later. And the third one, that hideous strength, is just an updated Frankenstein. So this is the sci-fi genre. Makes sense? <clears throat> but um, let's see. Um... I think that's pretty good for now. Well, imagine if, if uh, instead of do, using science and technology, though, to make heaven on earth and to stick the middle finger at God, what if we decided to use science and technology for the good of our neighbor in submission to God's laws? Uh, would we create Frankensteins then? No. No. Has there ever been a time in history where Christians were scientists and they did good for the world? Yes. 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 Kepler, Galileo, Pasteur, Faraday, Newton, Copernicus, they're all Christians. Yep, Crapper, one of, the, one of the most important scientists of all who invented the toilet. That's right. Saved millions and millions from death, from dysentery and other um, horrible diseases. So, you know, Christians have been on the forefront of using science and technology, which we're called to do, which started in the Garden of Eden, 
to exercise dominion, godly dominion, over this earth in the name of King Jesus. Christians were using science, science and technology from the very beginning, from Abel, who was a, uh, a animal husband, husbander, a farmer, a shepherd, who domesticated animals and bred them for proper techniques. He was one of the first scientists. Adam did it as well. He taught Cain, gardening and botany, all of these different things. And all of that started in the beginning, and it's because we're called to be in the image of God and to exercise dominion over the planet, over the birds of the air, over the fish of the sea. Amen? But what do evil scientists do? They try to exercise dominion over their neighbor. Right? Try to mandate things and, and do things so that they can have more power and control. And that always produ- produces atom bombs, Frankensteins, its, Pennywise, etc. So... If we were to use science in a Christian way, we could feed the poor with tractors. See what I mean? We could heal the sick with actual vaccines, not made-up fake ones that are actually (laughs) experimental mRNA um, injections that don't serve our neighbor but serve uh, powerful corporate interests, right? We could, um, you know, love God and love our neighbor as ourselves with all of our minds and our strength that's the way it should be a few quick questions would we create animal human hybrids no No, because man is created distinct from the animals in the image of god would we try and stop genetic diseases would we try to stop genetic diseases by executing people with genetic diseases No. no you see how we're so that's what that's what scientists are doing today they try to create animal human hybrids and they try to stop genetic diseases by eradicating um, people with genetic diseases. Have they made an animal human Probably, yes. Aren't they going to be able to like... Now, so where is the line between playing God and using science and technology to exercise proper dominion over the earth under God? Where does that line exactly draw? Um, it's, it's difficult for us. None of us are scientists here. But if society turned Christian and we began to use science and technology, even iPhones, you know, for God's glory and for our neighbor's good, we could learn these things and we really could uh, see um, peace extended on earth and health and wealth and prosperity extended on earth. And these are things that Christians in the past believed were important. Unfortunately, Christians these days have long lost that and they now bow the knee to scientism and uh, humanistic technology and, in fact, desire some of the heaven on earth created by the Dr. Frankensteins of our world today. And so we have a long way to go and a lot to change on that. And maybe some of you will change it. Maybe some of you will be scientists, farmers, or you know, engineers, etc. Amen? All right, that's it for today.